You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the Rand Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from Rand's latest research and commentary. It's October 28th. The medical field uses the term patient safety events to refer to a wide range of harms, from bad drug interactions to infections after surgery to missed diagnoses. To learn more about these incidents, researchers from RAND and MedStar Health read back through nearly 20 years of medical studies and interviewed more than a dozen medical specialists. They found that minoritized patients are at especially high risk of these patient safety events. The analysis revealed that black patients suffer more surgical complications than white patients, even in the same hospital. Black patients are also more likely to experience harmful drug interactions, to go without needed pain medicine, and to die following coronary bypass surgery. What might explain such disparities? The researchers found no shortage of explanations. For example, minoritized communities often lack access to top-quality hospitals. They're more likely to breathe polluted air, to have substandard housing, and to live with other health-harming environmental hazards. And black, Hispanic, and American Indian or Alaska Native people are less likely to have health insurance. There was also evidence suggesting that racism is a root cause of increased patient safety events among minoritized patients. In fact, the doctors, nurses, and other professionals we interviewed for the study were almost unanimous in describing racism as a factor in some or all patient safety events. Addressing this problem will require hospitals and other healthcare providers to improve how they track patient safety and demographics. Better data is imperative. But stakeholders may need to first acknowledge the role that racism plays in patient safety events. Rand's Lucy Scholson was the lead author of the study. Here's how she put it. Quote, We need to start thinking differently, and that starts by naming the problem for what it is, which is racism. With the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, Americans find themselves living in a country that, for the first time since 1973, does not promise a constitutional right to an abortion. In a new Q&A on the Rand blog, a group of researchers discuss what this new reality could mean for especially vulnerable populations, how the ruling might exacerbate misinformation about abortion, what the policy responses could look like, and more. Here's a quick take from each of the RAND experts featured. RAND's Kyle Ann Hunter discussed the potential effects of the Dobbs decision on U.S. service women. Hunter explains that women in the military are impacted in different ways than civilian women. To start, women who serve in the military often have very little choice in where they live. And if they need to travel for an abortion, they just can't leave on a whim to go to a neighboring state. They would actually need approval to travel. Additionally, service members, particularly junior service members, often can't perform their job duties while pregnant especially if they're in a job that's very physically demanding, like working in an aircraft or on a ship. These challenges could affect a lot of women. A recent study led by Rand Sarah Meadows, who's also featured in the Q&A, showed that about 40% of service women and DOD civilian women 
now have either no access or severely restricted access to abortion services where they live or are stationed. The findings suggest that improvements are needed to ensure that these women have access to the full scope of reproductive health care. Laura Ferretti, who, in addition to being a RAND researcher, is a practicing physician, talked about the hurdles facing women with substance use disorders. For instance, they are twice as likely to have chronic medical problems as pregnant women without substance use disorders. This makes their pregnancies riskier. Women with substance use disorders also have a higher risk of severe maternal morbidity and even death around the time of childbirth. Forcing these women to continue pregnancies may exacerbate these already increased health risks. Verity said, quote, Women with substance use disorders need more care, more support, more access to prenatal care and postpartum supports, and more evidence-based substance use disorder treatment. When you limit reproductive choice for these women, it does the exact opposite. Julia Rollison explained that by moving decisions about abortion rights to the states, information about abortion may be different depending on where you live, creating more opportunities for misinformation. Not only that, but misinformation around legality becomes much harder to grasp because laws vary by state in terms of potential bans, gestational limits, and so on, and because the landscape is changing so rapidly. To read more about our experts' insights on the potential effects of the Dobbs decision, visit the RAND blog. Members of the U.S. intelligence community help guard against serious threats such as terrorism, trafficking, and weapons of mass destruction. They collect and protect national secrets, and they frequently work under difficult and strenuous conditions. Whether they're deployed in the field or serving at an office in D.C., these individuals may face heightened risk of experiencing trauma. Exposure to trauma can have serious mental health outcomes. And while you might assume that direct combat exposure would be the factor that most directly affects mental health, studies suggest that constant stressors related to work, such as long hours, shift work, short staffing, and poor leadership, can be more frequent detrimental sources. A new RAND paper examines this issue and considers how to better support the well-being of the nation's intelligence workforce. The way forward includes taking a more proactive approach to addressing the mental health effects of trauma and reducing the stigma around seeking mental health care. Taking steps such as these does not only fulfill the intelligence community's ethical obligation to support its employees' well-being, it's also a matter of national security. Rand Sarah Hunter, whose research focuses on housing and homelessness, has been closely following the Los Angeles mayoral election to hear the candidates' plans to address the citywide homelessness crisis, which is a top concern for voters. Writing in the Los Angeles Daily News this week, she pointed out that debates about homelessness have sometimes implied that there are simple fixes, such as temporary shelters or permanent supportive housing. But according to Hunter, such solutions are just pieces of a very complex puzzle. Let's start with permanent supportive housing, which some have wrongly referred to as a free apartment. To qualify for supportive housing, a person must be deemed chronically homeless, which means having lived in a place, quote, not fit for human habitation for one continuous year or for one year over a three-year period. 
The person must also have a disability documented by a recent diagnosis from a medical doctor. Second, permanent supportive housing isn't free. All individuals are required to pay up to 30% of their income in rent. And sure, if a person has zero income, then they don't pay rent. But that's rare. Most residents are likely to qualify for some sort of disability benefits, which can take months, sometimes years, to access. And third, there are far too few supportive housing units to meet the demand for them. Hunter points out that mental health needs further complicate the picture of providing support to people experiencing homelessness. Recent survey data has shown that about one in four people on the street suffers from either a serious mental illness and or substance use disorder, and that's likely an underestimate. It's clear that there are no easy solutions. Instead, what the Los Angeles region needs is a robust continuum of care, Hunter says. This could include support ranging from one-time cash payments that prevent people from being evicted, to providing 24-7 care for people experiencing homelessness who have severe health conditions. Our final topic today, giant space mirrors. Could sending mirrors the size of Brazil into space reflect sunlight away from Earth, help cool the planet, and thus mitigate the effects of climate change? This approach may sound far-fetched. But it's one of a variety of geoengineering technologies designed to intentionally manipulate the climate. The risks and benefits of using space mirrors are still very theoretical, says Rand physical scientist Emi Yonakura. But it's important to look more closely at the idea to better understand it. For instance, there's a lot of uncertainty around the costs, efficacy, and safety of this technology, not to mention concerns about potential weaponization. There are also geopolitical concerns that aren't well understood. If other countries were to send mirrors into space, it could have negative impacts on U.S. international relations, the economy, and regional climate. As decision-makers consider potential ways to address climate change, they simply need more information about new technologies that might present viable solutions. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. For more on today's episode, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. And we'll see you next week.